Hey, it's Dan Harmon from Harmontown. I want to tell you about an exciting new podcast coming to Feral Audio called Launch Left. Rain, Phoenix, and Moon Zappa are going to interview extraordinary minds, mavericks, and pioneers in their fields. This season, Launch Left is going to celebrate nonconformists like Michael Stipe, Shepard Ferry, Spike Jones, Mario Batali, and many others. And those guests are also going to spotlight their favorite left-of-center emerging artists. So listen and subscribe now at feralaudio.com slash left, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can do it however you want, man. That's the nonconformist part. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks. Plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Feral Audio. with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. Thank you for listening to my show. If you're a new person for the first time listening, uh, this show is exactly what my uh, title there says. Uh, I have a conversation with a fascinating person, often is a uh, cool musician, artist, legendary activists I've had in the past, uh, authors, big on authors, uh, taking a break from authors though because uh, I got tired of uh, well, not tired. It's a, what a you know stupid thing to complain about. I just I had to read a lot of books to before they came on the show, and uh, I have one more author, maybe two more coming up in the near future. But uh, I wanted to read some books by uh, dead people that I can't interview. Uh, the uh, on a Studs Terkel, Mike Royko, Nelson Algren kick, anyways. But um <coughs> If you liked my theme music there, that is a band called Les Blanks. You can check out more of their music at lesblanks.com. And speaking of music, uh, today's guest is Ryan Walsh, the frontman for the Boston indie band Hallelujah the Hills. Uh, I was just uh, listening to their music before I recorded this intro, and uh, they're really goddamn good, so you should uh, check them out. Uh, Ryan is a great guest. He's also a great writer. I'm going to have uh, some of his uh, links to articles um, on my website. So you can go to themattdwyer.com and you can uh, you can check out his writing. Because he's, like he th- he's a journalist. Well, we talk about it in the show, so I don't want to ruin it. Um, I don't, you know, I don't, if I tell you the whole conversation here, then why would you listen to the conversation? Except that it's with Ryan, who's a lot more interesting than me, so maybe that would be a, a solid reason. Did everybody have a good Halloween? This was uh, Halloween week. I um, I work in a bar uh, on Friday night, so I worked Halloween. Uh, hate, I hate uh, dressing up for Halloween. I love Halloween, hate dressing up for it. So I did the laziest thing possible, and I was the front man for ACDC, which just means I cut the sleeves off a shirt and put on a hat <laughs> with glasses. I was the singer from ACDC with glasses. And uh, good thing he's l- out of shape because I'm out of shape. And so I really captured the uh, essence of the costume with my 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 fat belly that is uh, really out of shape. I got to get it together, man. 
every night I sit there and watch television or read, and I'm it, but my I'm also thinking like, oh man, you're gonna have a heart attack soon. <laughs> Uh, but the other great thing about uh, Halloween and working in a bar is, uh, you know, telling a drunk Dracula he's had too much to drink and <laughs> seeing, I saw, I'm trying to remember, you know, you see like after you leave the bar at two in the morning, you see, you know, like a genie stumbling up the street and you see a guy arguing with a female Elvis and it's... Uh, it's uh, my friend Brian Abbott once told me a great story that he um, after had a, like a one night stand after on Halloween, and they had to take the bus from the west side to the east side, in uh, like while people were going to work as a z- and he was dressed as a zombie <laughs> like the next day at like seven in the morning. So those are the real reasons to love Halloween. The full I do think though, uh, first of all, the sexy thing. The sexy angle of costumes is ridiculous. I heard of someone saying they were going to be a sexy Ghostbuster. First of all, I guess it's subjective, but uh, they weren't very sexy to me. I did, but whatever. But uh, I don't know. I just, adults, I don't mean to be curmudgeonly. Maybe I am. I don't know. Adults dressing up is just really silly to me. I feel like there's, and people in L.A. take it really 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 seriously like it's it's nuts how seriously it's like maybe it's because there's a lot of frustrated actors so they this is like their one chance to really throw themselves into a role because the rest of the time you know they're working at target or something so but they like they won't drop the character all night and it's it's interesting and uh sad it's really sad is what it is uh well that's enough of my rabble babble dabble uh let us get to the conversation with the incredible Ryan Walsh. Hello. Ryan? Hey. Oh, I didn't know if you could hear me or not. How are you? Hey, man, what's going on? How are you? I'm good. We're fucking doing this. <laughs> Fine. <We're laughs> as in, as in, you're already rolling. Uh, I always roll just to be safe because sometimes uh, some magic happens. Yeah, of course. The, the initial chit chat. I'm just walking out of my house to go for a little walk. Oh, splendid. Uh, what the, what kind of weather you got there? Because I I'm fucking sick of LA weather, so I have to live vicariously through you. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, we just got our first snowfall, which was unexpected. All of a sudden, it was snowing yesterday, which is uh, a little too early for that. But it's like a nice, brisk fall. When everything's crisp, everything gets super crisp. God damn it. Yeah, Chicago got hit with snow, too. I'm just, I don't know. I want to get the hell out of here. You come to L.A. a lot. Do you like it, this dump? I do I do like L.A., yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ, it, to visit. And just sit in that kind of perfect weather day after day is pretty awesome as a visitor. I can see how it would get a little, like, you'd want a little variety eventually. Yeah. You do a lot of stuff with the UCB, I've noticed. I have saw uh, when doing my sort of research. Like, How did you get <laughs> – how did that happen? Because that's kind of – Yeah, we do, we do have a history with them now because uh, Matt Besser is awesome. And when our first album came out in 07 – 
he was writing on his website that he liked it, and I kind of was floored because I've been watching that guy since I was a teenager and just loving that comedy. And so I reached out to him, and I said, we're going to be a South by Southwest, so are you? And he said, oh, great, you can be the house band for our, um, they did a late night show. And it was the all, it was the original members except Amy, and we were the house band. And um, just from then, from then on, we've done a bunch of things with them. That's kind of badass. There's always been a weird, uh, especially like the New York Chicago comedians. That I guess it's true in LA too. Is like uh, there's always like a music comedy connection that uh, like everybody's friends with like musicians in both scenes. It's it's really kind of cool because <laughs> like everybody. Yeah, I like I. Well, you know, they always say, Matt, if you ever you did that thing everyone says, every every uh, musician wants to be a comedian, every comedian wants to be a rock star. Yeah. You ever heard that? I have. I d- it's d- unfortunate. Most comedians I know, are their bands are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it cuts both ways. You know, I think uh, if you put most... Uh, Musicians or rock stars on uh, stage and be, said, "Just be funny. You don't get to launch into a song." Um, they would have a little trouble as well. I mean, everyone has. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, it goes cuts both ways, I think. Yeah, it's funny because I think like most, probably most comedians, almost everyone I know was in a band at some point in high school or just out of high school, and then I think that just they realize, well, I blow, but I still want to be on stage with a microphone in my hand. So (laughs) Kyle Kinane was in a bunch of bands and stuff, and and he's like one of the best comedians alive right now, and it's just funny to me that it's like... Wait, who? Kyle Kyle Kinane? Who, James? Kyle Kinane. Oh, Kinane. Oh, yeah, he is funny. So wait, he plays currently? Uh, He doesn't pull... Actually, I think he did a reunion thing a couple years ago with... With his uh, band in like in the suburbs of Chicago, but I don't think he does anymore. He was like in a kind of a I think a rockabilly kind of punk thing. Okay. But yeah, uh, I want to. I, I I I think the world. I yeah, I love when the worlds cross over because I think it's um, you know, it's often like-minded people. Yeah, I've made the mistake of I had a band open up for a, a comedy show once, and they were just so intense <laughs> it was like they were loud and intense and it was like you can't do comedy after this like it was just like people were just kind of well, like, yeah that's the thing it, it often doesn't work for the live show but like we did um we were the um when we were in la last we did in the improv for humans podcast where you play a song and then they make up a scene based on your song and that kind of thing works perfectly that's really cool yeah there's so I think. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no, I just said yeah. I, I like I going back to Besser. I saw Besser like host a show with uh, like shellac and a bunch of bands in that sort of loud genre, and and Besser's you know a brilliantly funny, captivating performer, and it just was they hated him so much. Oh no, I know. But it's like there's no yeah. way like you can follow like a band like Maple Leaf and then like and Albini and just be like, well, now I'm going to come up here and casually talk to you all. <laughs> it's, like, it's just not going to work. I know. Yeah. It's something about like the craft, a, a, a large craft, a mob can only be in one mood, either to hear music or comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, they're probably, they probably go to comedy shows and rock shows, but like, yeah, I don't know. I guess you're getting different uh, mindsets when you enter. Yeah. The comedy club or the rock club. 
There's something interesting just to, to go back to what we're really supposed to talk about, and that's you and your work. <laughs> uh, oh. If if you don't mind, but uh, first of all, as I've I've I probably have messaged you and told you that I I I also really dig your band and. When uh, I first discovered you, like my girlfriend and I were watching some of your videos kind of obsessively just because I liked the videos and the and the tunes. But and then I read and this this fascinates me because uh, that did you lost your label at some point? Your label dropped you and then you put out an album regardless. You just put it out yourself. Correct. And it was and it did very well. Or am I fucking that story? Yeah. No, no. That's pretty much it. I mean, the history is. Um we were signed to Misra Records for uh, two album deals, which we did. And um, but the label almost went under, but changed hands. So we kind of lost the continuation of our deal. And it was just at the point where um, bands were starting to figure out Kickstarter. So we, for our third record, we did a Kickstarter, and it was a huge success. Yeah, I mean. To be honest, to give you a little behind the scenes, like, you know, the two Kickstarters we've done, the amount of money we've, we've received from those to record an album was more than any advance we got from the label. And that's not to uh, um, talk bad about the label. It's just, um, it's a model for right now that really works for us. Yeah, I just, it's like, I remember too, because like uh, a few years back, or it might even be more than a few, but when Clap Your Hands Say Yeah had their first album, like they had no label, they had no distributor, and they sold like 50,000 or something crazy of their, and I just remember thinking like, because my friend owned a record store in LA at the time, and he's like, I, he was like, I have to send a check to the guy, and he sends the yeah, record. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I was like, how fucking, to me, it's like, that's great. That's heroic, and that's like I love that sort of thing, where people are just like "fuck off," we'll do it anyway, and like we don't need these pricks to sort of validate us anymore. Right. I mean, they did. I mean, there were certain things. I mean, there still is in that equation certain gatekeepers. I mean, blogs and Pitchfork were still important to that album taking off the Clap Your Hands album, but it's not like you know someone. Someone in a position of some kind of power, whether it's money or the pacemaking power of a label or the pacemaking power of blogs and all that. So, you know, it's, it makes sense because it's just there's more bands than have ever been on earth right now. So you do everyone needs help in saying, hey, who the hell should I listen to? But um, like you said, when they're cutting checks to the singer themselves, one thing it does demand is uh, a certain amount of access. You can't the mysterious the mysterious rock star is kind of a archetype that it's just it it has to disappear. I mean, everyone you can I can go tell some of my favorite songwriters right after this call that uh, the they suck now on Twitter and they <laughs> they 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 will read it. <laughs> so it's like. You know, some people, a few, there's a few examples of people who are still inaccessible, but that kind of whole thing about the mystery is fading. And in some ways, I I do lament that. You know, because one of, one of my favorite bands is Guided by Voices. And when they kind of broke big in the mid-90s, 
there was all this mystery about who the hell they even were. And um, that's just, uh, there's not much opportunity for that anymore. So that's a little bit of a loss for a big win, you know, because I, I do like that fans of, that are at our level can rally the small fan base that we have and, and make these awesome things happen, you know? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of interesting because like you know like someone like Lou Reed is such a mysteri- mysterious unknown guy. <laughs> it's like, and probably if he came around today, it would be it wouldn't exist as much. I guess that that sort of myth. Or it's like hard to create that sort of weird world. That if, if, am I making? This? I'm just not sure if that's coming out the way I want it to come out. But like, there's no exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, we're going to figure out a new level of mystery, I guess, where people are accessible, but it's, a, I guess, about how much access you give people and what's the perfect amount that people want. Like, you know, you want to you wanna connect with your fans, but you um, you, you do want to stay, you know, you want to, it's like, it's like sexy clothing. Leave a little to the imagination. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's like you don't want... Uh, you don't want somebody showing up at your door, quite frankly. Like, there's that, and I feel like we live yeah. in an era where that's more people are like, oh, I know you, and it's like, you don't know me, and you're scaring me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah. I, and now, j- j- just because I want to go back, because I don't know, I not to fixate on the, the label thing, because at first, when it when it happened, were you were you at first, like, bummed and sort of like, like how did you feel when that first happened? Oh, we were very, uh, we were bumped up for sure. It, it actually happened. Um, I, weirdly, I have footage of this. Uh, I've never put it out, but we were kind of messing around with the video camera that tour. And when we visited our label excitedly, we were rolling like, here's our label. <laughs> and then we kept rolling as he told us that, uh, you know, the deal had to end because the label might fold. Oh. And, um, yeah, that's on footage. I I yet to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I can understand um, that. But um, I've always been of the mindset like, all of this is just incredible birthday cake to me because I I um I I definitely have dreams and you know hopes, but I never I've I've never expected anything. So. Everything that happens is sort of uh, an interesting new puzzle to me. Yeah. Yeah, I just I'm always sort of um, I think the conflict with anybody creative is the the art and commerce aspect of it, and there's also a you want you I mean I desperately want my work, especially like my writing, to be fucking acknowledged, <laughs> and it's but then right. and it's like so when somebody like a label. Or well, you know, like a publisher or whatever, or agents and stuff take interest. You're like, oh fuck, and then you know, like I'm buying a condo in Chicago in my brain, but it's like, but then you know, inevitably it turns to shit, and and like it's, I feel like you know the the fat girl waiting to get asked for prom or to prom, <laughs> where it's like I feel like horrible <laughs> that my date you know blew me off, and right, I just uh. I don't know. Like I, I, I have great admiration that you guys were just like, well, fuck it, we're gonna do go do it ourselves. Yeah, I think there's a certain you can like get a little bit of a because we've never made we've never made livings from the band. We've always just 
we've always taken all of the money we make and just turn it back towards the band to keep the band self-sustaining and do as much as it, uh, of it as we can while still holding day jobs. There's a power in that, in, in just being in it for the creativity. You know what I mean? Because you start to make weird decisions when it's your livelihood, I think. And well, some people navigate that better than others. That's Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, and it's... I don't... It's... It's interest. I'm struggling with my point, <laughs> but but like yeah, it's it seems like we live in a time too where you said like oh we don't make our living off of music, and it's like most bands aren't. Like it's like it's it seems harder than ever to get over that hurdle in almost any of the creative fields, unless you decide to go like we're gonna be really just dick sucking terrible. <laughs> it's like we're just gonna write some really yeah, just yeah. TV awful music. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the concept of selling out for bands or comedians or whoever doesn't really exist anymore. You know, that that whole mindset has kind of faded away. Um, but I think what the underlying fear of why everyone was so intense about that in the 90s was your artistic voice would be compromised and your next future work, you would be able to detect it as the listener of like, okay, they were hoping to get a car commercial out of this song, you know? And um, uh, I, I find that a lot of the, a lot of the um, music, I like, I, I think a lot of weird music is being used for movies and TV and car commercials, which I think is encouraging. Like no one, no one's really in a position anymore to be like, where are the hits or make this more radio friendly. And, Everyone's just meeting in the middle, in a point where I think it's just mostly mostly about creativity, which is I think is a very good thing. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I never really thought of it that way because it is like I just heard a fact the other day that last year or this year there were no platinum selling albums, and that is oh right, yeah, uh, you know, but uh, Taylor, Taylor Swift just did it. She's the only platinum selling album this year. That's, I mean, that's crazy. Because it's like that. Yeah, was, yeah. And that's how it, it is crazy. It is crazy, but uh, we got to remember we're going off of like 50 years of data. And that's a, that's a small window. Everyone's like, it's not how it used to be. Well, this has only existed for like 50 years. <laughs> like everyone's, everyone's talking about um, the model for musicians or artists making money um, as if it's something that's been around for centuries. And what we're we're experiencing an upheaval, but you could argue that it's been nothing but rolling upheaval since um, the uh, the invention of recorded music. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting what you're saying though about how it's going to be. People are it's allowing more creativity because it is. It's like I hear bands that I really like, like I I mean a couple years ago it was, but I heard the Strange Boys on. A commercial, and I was like, I ju they were the kind of guys because I kind of know them. I was like, oh, I didn't kind of think they would do that, but it's like for them, who probably you know don't sell a lot of stuff, it's like that's a year or two of like food. <laughs> it's like, it's like it's means yeah, it means yeah. every like now that is like the sort of the payoff of like oh fuck I can actually enjoy my life a little bit. Yeah, that's really the opportunity to. 
that's one of the, the big ways to, one of the remaining ways to um, get some money as a band. I mean, I've, um, one of the examples I love, and this is, um, I also write a lot of articles, and sometimes they're about music, and sometimes not, but I profiled this guy from here in Massachusetts named uh, Matt Farley. And he he has released uh, over 20,000 songs on Spotify and iTunes. And he just sits at the piano and writes songs that mention phrases or people or things that people might search on Spotify. There might be a song about you. He, he writes about comedians all the time. So there's just a sea of music he puts out. And if I'm interested in David Lee Roth and I enter it into Spotify, he wrote a song about David Lee Roth. So people end up listening to it, and he makes half of his living off of that. Which is an insane, that's an insane strategy to deal with the new kind of model for uh, making money off music. But I, I kind of love insane, strange strategies like that. That's like, it's, he sounds like the modern day Wesley Willis. <laughs> it's just like, that's, cause that guy would Yeah, but he, exactly. But even more so. I mean, he just, he just doesn't stop. He writes a birthday song for every name he can think of. So he, so I interviewed him and I was like, so what's it like when you record these birthday songs? And he's like, oh, that is not, those aren't fun days. <laughs> I just have to plow through. I record one piece of music and then record the vocal over and over again with different names. That's incredible. That's an amazing, see, that makes me really like this the era and streaming music because it's like a dude like that can just find, I mean, it's like genius that he found that angle. And it's just like, I'm sure people are playing those fucking birthday songs like all the time yes yes and through and a lot of people do it you know and through a couple listens to all of his you know thousands and thousands of songs through streaming adds up to a meager living and so like i really enjoy him because like itunes and spotify have made rules based <laughs> in reaction to him like <laughs> like the fact that they're uh iTunes and Spotify uh, put a maximum of 100 songs per album and that's in reaction to him because he will <laughs> he will just, um, I don't know if you know but if you're self-distributing you pay a service per album to distribute your album to iTunes or Spotify so bang for buck he wanted to pack those albums with as many tracks as possible so he tried to do more than 100 and they were like no no 100 is the max that's incredible yeah, yeah. Everyone should check him out. Moturn Media, M-O-T-E-R-N. That's, uh, that's, I don't know, that's really inspiring. <laughs> I was like, uh, why, I was like, <laughs> I feel like a dope. Like, why didn't I think, I can't do anything musically, but I feel like I should have just, like, thought of something. Because there was some band, too, that had all their fans, like, put, stream their album on repeat on Spotify. Right, sleep, Sleepify. I wrote about them as well. That's Maybe a that's little bit I, of a... I think I might have read it. Yeah, I might have got that from you, actually. Okay, yeah. Well, Sleepify is interesting. They made, a silent, they made silent tracks, which they asked fans to just play and repeat overnight while they slept, and it would, like a little machine that generates money for them. And it, um, I, <laughs> eventually, it was a controversy, because I think Spotify made them take it down, but they did get their initial check, supposedly. No one has ever... I'm really interested to confirm the fact that Spotify paid them X amount. Of, it, was a, it was a good sum of money. But um, 
it's interesting. Yeah, there are people are making rules based on based on these insane strategies that people are using to combat the low payout for streaming music services. So what's interesting to me is that so what we have happening right now is it, people like Spotify and iTunes are actually dictating and generating rules right now about what is and isn't a song, which if you think about it is insane. Yeah, that's, that would like rule out um well, some some John Lennon work. <laughs> it's like and <laughs> and like uh, you know, like guys like uh John Cale and like those guys who got avant garde and weird in the sixties and seventies, like like who's to that's like a real weird who's to say what is a song? Like who's to say what is art? Yeah, and so and so we've done away with the archetype of the um big mean record exec who kinda demands more hits. But we've replaced them with heads of services like iTunes and Spotify who are now in charge of making these new rules. And uh, I don't know. I think it's worth paying attention to and kind of arguing back. I think um, I think um, to go back to uh, Matt, Motern Media, he used to do songs with other song titles and the artist name in the title. So it would be like, you know, his title would be, this is a song about Southern Man by Neil Young. <laughs> you know, and they they prohibited him from they've prohibited him from mentioning both the song and the artist in a new song title, and you can only do one or the other according to him. And um, that, it, you know, it makes sense if you think about it on a logical level. But then again, they're dictating somebody's creativity, which I I think is bad. Yeah, it's really, and it's just because they don't want to shell out the money. That's all it is. They don't give a fuck. They just don't want to. I mean, that's what I'm assuming. They just don't want to pay some guy who's. Oh yeah, they're, they're yeah, they're not interested in curating the very best art from around the world. They're, they're making monet. They're making monetary based decisions. I mean, um, I don't have the figures in my head, but I I don't think Spotify is in the black. Is that what you say in the black when they're. Liquid? Yeah, know. yeah, that's in the black is good. Like Spotify, I know I've never been there. Like, like Spotify has a lot of investors and they have a lot of money coming in, but they're not profitable yet. That's and I don't crazy. think plan. They don't. I don't think they plan to be for or. I or do uh, being profitable for years. That's interesting because I do audio, which from uh, what I've heard. Oh, cool! Yeah, they yeah. pay the artists better, is what I heard. I don't know how. What the? I think that's true. Yeah. Because and then that's and everybody says it's actually a better like thing to deal with like technical wise. I don't know. I'm a fucking idiot. But because I've been interested in what your t t take is, because like Jimmy Buffett asked, at he asked, right. it, and I thought that was really cool asking like, am I going to get a raise? Because I feel like these guys are. I don't know. I feel like I mean that yes. He, I, oh man, it's I could talk about this all night. So stop me if I start to ramble. But um, maybe, maybe the payout rate should be better for streaming. No one really knows. I mean, there is no model for this. This is all brand new. And because you're getting, if a fan, okay, so if a fan loves the Holly of the Hill song, Wave Backwards to Massachusetts, right? The old way, they would have bought it for 99 cents uh, 
per song, or they would have bought the album for like 10 bucks. okay? So that's all the money you're going to get from that fan for that song throughout its lifetime. But streaming, even though that initial first stream is a super low payout, if they listen to that song throughout their whole life on streaming, eventually you're going to make way more money off that one song from that one fan over the course of their life. So you see how we're almost in a place where we shouldn't be arguing about this because we don't have enough data yet. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, that makes total sense, and it's interesting because, yeah, I, and it's it's like weird because I'll you on radio, audio, it'll show you how many people have listened to a song or an album, and sometimes like I'm like, there's no way the music I listen to is this obscure <laughs> that it that it has <laughs> 50 listens or six listens. Right, right. Which, and I'm also like, I mean, how trustworthy is their their methods of, you know, because in the end, it, they're, they're money-grubbing corporate people, and they're going to gladly fuck anybody over. Well, yeah, you know, you, don't want, you want to think more of them, but, you know, there's no, there's no ombudsman of Spotify. There's no one to check the numbers. But the problem with the Jimmy Buffett thing is, we can't have we can't have our most compelling spokesmen and arguments for the case against against this stuff be people who are already millionaires. You know what I mean? It just looks bad. Like I remember there was an interview where um, Van Dyke Parks, who um, is a songwriter himself, but he wrote a lot of lyrics for um, the Beach Boys at one time. He, in an interview about the music industry recently, he was like, "You know, I used to sit in a pool and write lyrics, and that would be my income for the year." Well, guess what, asshole? You don't deserve to live for a year because you sat in the pool and wrote one song. Like, stuff. I don't think that's the uh, that's the argument to present to everybody because that was a weird bubble and it's over. And I think we're all all artists and listeners are have a vested interest in finding some kind of method that's um, good for everybody, but. Uh, yeah, I have no interest in hearing millionaires complain about the uh, payout for Spotify or streaming. Yeah, I don't, Jimmy Buffett shouldn't complain about anything because he's lucky people even ever took notice of his music. It's god awful. <laughs> it's like it's like, dude, you're lucky you made dime one. You write a, the most insipid bullshit ever recorded. But like, yeah. I, I heard like last week or something. I read that like Stairway to Heaven makes. I'm either it's either thirteen or thirty. I'm a little sl weird with numbers. That's why that's. But I was like, even ev either number a year is insane for one fucking song that is highly mm -hmm. overrated. <laughs> if I may be so bold. Did you did you see that there's a lawsuit against Zeppelin and um, specifically Stairway that they ripped it off? That was uh, the guitar riff. That was the article that I re read. I'm an avid. Yeah. Uh, spouter of how Led Zeppelin has robbed so many songwriters. Uh, yeah, it's really disturbing. I mean, I was never a Zeppelin kid, so I, I have no, I have no dog in the fight. But um, I checked out some of the YouTube comparisons, and I was like, "Ooh, that is, that doesn't look good." Oh yeah, I'm, I did. I didn't check out the Stairway stuff, but I'm like, I'm, I really dig old blues stuff, and it's like I've been like hip to some of that stuff. And there's like, if you. Google that, like Led Zeppelin old blues, like like there's like a number of videos where they're like, here's yeah. the old blues tune, yeah. here's Led, and it's like it's not even like inspired, it's blatant, and it's it's I 
it's really wrong to me. <laughs> yeah, you 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 try to imagine what their mindset was, and you have to think they could have an artist like that making a move like that could have never anticipated the internet and how everything like that will eventually be caught. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I, and uh, I don't think this is the reality, but, like, they were really young, they were really fucking high, <laughs> it's like, and <laughs> they were huge fans, and they probably thought they were doing it as an homage, but it's, like, hard to think that they didn't know, like, oh, they should get a credit and some money for this. Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah, and it's also hard. I mean, that's a bad example too with anything blues based because all of that. Not to say stairway. I mean, Jesus, stairway is definitely a unique song, but I mean, blues. That's that's hundred thousand songs based on the same three chords in the same three order. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, well, well, uh, we're gonna need our best detective to sort this mess out. <laughs> we're gonna get back to the conversation here in one moment. I just want to take out this time to uh, make you aware of, if you go to my page at feralaudio.com, the Conversations with Matt Dwyer page, and if you click on the Amazon link, and if you use that anytime you purchase things like uh, groceries, um, medicine, shampoo, DVDs, Feral Audio and Conversations with Matt Dwyer gets a kickback of that money, and that can help us uh, keep our lights on and buy equipment. I currently... desperately need a new recorder so I can do more extensive interviews with more than two people at a time. Uh, This would help me out greatly. You can also donate through that donate button on my pages as well. Um, So if you really want to buy me a new Zoom recorder, that would be awesome. Thank you very much for listening. Back to the conversation. Um... Yeah, and uh, now, c- since we were talking about downloading and stuff, because you hipped me to your uh, your internet, the, the overdud tampering hoax that you uh, pulled. Oh, right, yeah. And that was really... So my... Oh, go- no, I just found it interesting. Uh, you, what, what, you will explain it way better than I will. Well, I'll explain why I did it and then what it was. It was, you know, I think, like, uh, like I've already said, I am... Um, I want interesting reaction to the, the the changing landscape. So, you know, when Lars, Lars Ulrich from Metallica comes out and boo-hoos that he, they're not making as much money anymore, rightfully so, everyone piled up on him. So, but at the same time as a musician, I was thinking of what this meant for me and what this meant for music enjoyment. And I was trying to come up with an interesting reaction to it. So I thought of the, an idea of a hoax. At first, I really wanted to do it, but we ended up just saying we did it. And what we said we did was <laughs> we sent an anonymous press release to like thousands of music journalists that for years we had been taking newly leaked albums by all kinds of artists, adding additional music on top of it, <laughs> and putting it back out in the illegal downloading streams. So that if you had ever illegally downloaded an album, you probably had what you saw was some classic song or some song, new song by a superstar. But we added some fucking harmonica to the middle, or <laughs> we we overdubbed a trumpet line, or we we have poisoned the well. You know what I mean? We we just put this 
seed of, I wanted to put the seed of doubt that, you know, okay, we've got this new amazing downloading, even poor kids can have access to all the music that's ever been made, but how do you know the source is pure? That's right. And that hoax, and a lot of people, and, you know, it was this enormously fun for us little mini frenzy that happened in a very brief period of time, and um, that whole thing got. So, <laughs> but I was I was very glad we did it. And then that was in 2008, and then 2012, I wrote this big article about the hoax and why we did it and what happened. And um, you know, I just think if you're gonna complain or have an argument or want to start a discussion about how we consume art and who deserves to be compensated, let's do it in an interesting way. Let's not, let's definitely not put our millionaires on a soapbox and let them cry. That's great. And it's, and it's true. It's like, what does, I mean, Lars Ulrich is from that era of where it's like, they made gabillions. It's like, so are you a little upset because you didn't make, you missed out on, I don't know, who knows how much? Right. I, you know, it's, and it's, un, you know, believe me, you know, on one level, it's understandable. Their music seemed to be worth a certain amount. And then through one small technical innovation, it was suddenly worth zero. I mean, that's got to be shocking to anyone who whose living was based on this thing. So uh, I can understand why anybody would have uh, lost their mind like Lars already did. I, I always thought it was weird, too, with the sharing and stuff, because it's like, I was like, so in eighty in the eighties, why didn't they like make cassettes illegal? Because like I rec and the nineties, I recorded albums on cassette all the time from other people. Like it was, and that didn't like collapse the in industry. Right, and in fact, with every with every um, technological innovation for music delivery, there have been pundits who've declared it the end of the industry, and that traces back to. Um, uh, recorded uh, radio initial radio play jukeboxes. Every time something new popped up, people high up in the biz had lost their mind and said, "Well, this isn't going to work." Well, no, it's not going to work how you've been used to it. But um, I don't know. It seems like the one constant in music is that everything's going to change constantly. In that way, it's like Buddhism. <laughs> it is. And real quick, I want to throw out that Joe, uh, my friend Jonah Ray, I'm sure you're familiar with him, but he was at a party, and he tells us, he's told this story on stage publicly, so it's not, I'm not doing it, but but he told a story about being at a party with Lars Ulrich, and they were talking about some song, him and a group of people, and no one knew the song. He's like, oh, let me, <laughs> he's like, let me find it for you, and he went and downloaded it online illegally <laughs> in front of a group of people, and Jonah was like, hey, man, like, I don't think Jonah said anything, but he was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you're the big <laughs> mouth in this, and you're doing it in front of a group of people? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like... That's great. It's like a, a double go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you... Like, is how did you get into... Because I've read uh, some of your articles that you... Uh, when you post them on, on Twitter and stuff, and I, l I really liked that article about... Uh, the hotel you reviewed in Boston, which I thought was... Oh, right, yeah. 
I don't know. There, there was because it wasn't just what was great about it too is it wasn't just about. Um, you didn't just write about like, hey, I went and stayed at this hotel. You made it about the, and it provoked a lot of, th- it provoked a lot of thought because it was, because the, uh, I forget how you just, dis- it was so long ago that I read it that, but like the whole hotel was sort of like an homage or like very steeped in like, here's things from the 70s and the 80s. And, uh, and right. Yeah, and just you were asking questions about like uh, celebrating that sort of, is it good or is it bad? And I'm like, I'm very interested in th- in that sort of concept in general. Yeah, well, wh- what it was is um, here in Bo- I'm in Boston, and I've lived here all my life. And, you know, in the last three years, our big alternative weekly newspaper shut down. Um, two of the big alternative radio stations shut down. And those are just gone forever. I mean, you know, the Internet replaces all those things in a way, but you know, we there's still a lot. And what they did was they opened this hotel that they were calling, you know, Boston's Rock and Roll Hotel, and it was all this memorabilia from that shutdown newspaper celebrating the artists that were made big by those And it's expensive. It's an expensive hotel. So what it the the kind of coded message of it is like um we can't, we can't, those things aren't sustainable, you know, kind of a certain level of art isn't sustainable, but the memory of it is uh, for a certain price and, you know, like selling, selling the dirtbag past at a premium is kind of the idea of it. And the, the the kind of people who made the art that the hotel celebrates could never afford to stay there. And, um, I love I love a good hypocrisy. So <laughs> I had them I had them check I had them check me in and then I just wrote kind of this review of the hotel that weaved in the history of what had happened and uh, and the inherent hypocrisy in the place. Um it, which is really surreal and weird. Yeah, it's it's almost it's I don't know. It's like I had a v- I still don't know how I exactly feel about it because it's like part of me is irritated because it's like they probably wouldn't want those people and that and in their if they were like time machined to the hotel they'd probably be like sorry we don't have a room for you junkie <laughs> <laughs> right I mean yes it's I guess uh, I don't know it's, it's 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 kind of like a cake and eat it too like we want to celebrate that dirty artist and um, we're going to do it uh, with uh, $300 a night (laughs) rooms. Like one of the part, one of the things I saw that's in the article that really disturbed me was two drunk people who had just been in the Red Sox game. It's right near the Red Sox uh, park, Fenway park. They were drunk and they were talking to the clerk and they were just like, uh, she was like, okay, I do have the two nights available. We can check in. The, di- the second night is a different rate. And he just waved her off. He was like, money's not an issue. Money's not an issue. It's in Boston. Let's spend- I'm in Boston. Let's spend some fucking money. And just, it's, uh, it's a weird thing that's going on here where um, I think we're the fourth most expensive city to live in right now, rent-wise. And um, that kind of change is 
on one level really good for a city, but there's a cost, you know, um, the cool people move out. So that was kind of my, that hotel review was my protest of that. This, and, uh, and, you know, uh, one thing that's on the article was that um, their PR person wrote me back to thank me for the wonderful review, <laughs> which, <laughs> they, which they simply could not have meant uh, on a literal sense. They, you know, PR people are some of the world's greatest bullshitters. But they, uh, I should pull it. I'll send it to you after we talk. But it was like it had this sentence about how rock and roll is a state of mind and you know, oh, just tried God. to spin this bullshit. I didn't know that about Boston. So what is it? Is it uh, San Francisco, New York? Who's third? Oh gosh, I don't. Maybe I don't know. Possibly, I know Seattle's getting crazy. I just think it's because it was funny because I was not an hour before we talked. I was discussing with a friend about how Chicago was going to be safe from probably becoming one of those bullshit cities because. The winters are so fucking brutal, and I always think of Boston also has really fucking brutal winters, don't you? Or no? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But there's, um, like, so much tech and medical innovation that's centered around here that it's just, um, right now, it's a magnet for all kinds of people, it's which, like I said, on one level is, is incredible. It's the, yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, but it also, it's like I, I discussed this with a, another musician, and he was telling me, he's a jazz dude, but he was saying that, like, cities like New York, it's like they've priced out their artists and it's like I and it's like if he's like, you know, when you visit a city, what do you do? Visit the fucking financial district? He's like, No, you go see the music and art and theater and it's like it's Yeah. It seems like a little bit like these it would be a smart urban idea to accommodate that. Exactly. Yeah, you would think there would be some mechanism in place to to try and preserve that, um, if um, I don't know, but there's not one person in charge. You know, everyone's just chasing money, so that kind of thing is probably everyone's last thought. You know what I mean? Yeah. If there was a couple, and I'm not, I'm just, I'm maybe I'm planting seeds, but if there's somebody who would on occasionally just go shoot a tech guy, and then, <laughs> then, then shoot him what? Wait, what'd you say? Well, just like a serial killer who kills tech guys, and that would drop your rent down. <laughs> The worst concept. Oh God! I think, we, man, I think we had one. His name was the Unabomber. It didn't work out too well for him. Oh, that's right. That's right. Now, but also, it's growing up in Boston, because that is uh, a goddamn. I mean, it must have been. That is such a rich musical history city. Uh, one of my all-time favorites, Jonathan Richmond, is from your fucking hometown. That's that's right. Yep, Dinosaur Junior. Um, I didn't know they were in Boston. But that was Western. Well, that was Western Mass, but. Still in the state, and of um, course, yeah. I'm, I mean, it's before your time, but uh, I mean, I didn't know this until I talked to a guy, Andy Pally, who was actually from there. Who, uh, uh, but I mean, the the Velvet Underground came and lived there for a while, which I thought, uh, and that was like their their gig was playing in Boston, which I always was fascinated by. Oh yeah, the Velvet Underground. They, um, yeah, they. I I read a quote they considered Boston their second home. They played a lot here, and they didn't play all over, certainly. In fact, I'm, I'm actually working on an article right now. I do, one of my favorite albums for, of all time is Astral Weeks by Van Morrison. And I found out that he lived in Boston while he was preparing to make that album, which is a um, weird little-known story that people don't really know or talk about around here. So I've been 
tracking down all the players and people who knew him when he lived here briefly and putting the story together. It's been super interesting. He was basically, he, he signed a terrible record deal with uh, Bang Records. And they basically, when he said, hey, where's my royalties for Brown Eyed Girl? They sent a mob guy over to tell him they were going to kill him. So he fled. <laughs> so he fled to Cambridge, uh, which is right out, you know, right next to Boston, and lived here in fear of, uh, in fear of a hitman, and uh, put together one of the best albums of all time. So I actually, I just came from New York last weekend. Uh, the band played CMJ, but I tracked down that mob guy, and he's an elderly guy, and I talked to him. That's incredible. Yeah, he was like, oh yeah, I smashed a guitar over Van's head. He got a little funny. But uh, we were good pals after that. <laughs> How did you find that guy? I just kept researching the story, and then finally, you know, it, it was unnamed. But then I found one source that used the name, and then I just kept searching online until I figured out um, he was still alive and where he lived. And then I called, cold called him. I said, I'd like to interview you. And he agreed. It was crazy. He threw, he threw Tiny Tim off a boat. Into the Hudson River. <laughs> Why do you throw Tiny? Was it just a Tiny's voice, or <laughs> he he said he was acting a little fruity, so he threw him off the off the boat. How did this guy Bizarre. end up in around so many music people? That's so crazy. Well, a lot of in the '60s, certain parts of the music industry were definitely um, getting pretty cozy with the mob, so it wasn't unheard of for a label to have some mob ties. And uh, Bang Records that Van Morrison signed to definitely um, had those ties. Wow, that's really crazy. That's uh, Yeah, so uh, I'm working on that story right now. I can't wait to get that out. That's a uh, quite the statement of your, your journalistic prowess. Because, I mean, that's... <laughs> I mean, that's like... I mean, to get a hunt down and finding the mob dude and then to get him, like, to be... <laughs> To get him bragging about him beating up people is uh, quite quite awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know he's a he's an elderly man now, and he's definitely put a um, he's got a softer spin on what happened now. <laughs> Every story was I beat <laughs> I beat him up, and then we became friends, which is like okay, I don't know if uh, those guys were actually your buddies or just terrified of you. Yeah, I think if the guys come to kill you, you're going to try to be on your best behavior. I also interviewed the Warner Brothers executive who eventually went to a abandoned warehouse in Manhattan and dropped a sack of $20,000 bills in front of two guys and then said, uh, we good? And they were like, yeah, you own Van now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's like the last person you would ever think to be like, you know, Van Morrison, you know, I think of like rolling Irish, Irish hills. And bubbling brooks and the story is just crazy full of mobsters and running from guns and i would yeah i mean it, it's 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 that interesting i mean i'm just giving you kind of the sexy lead lines but um it is it's crazy yeah it's um it definitely could be uh some kind of it's a story all right it makes you wonder how like how many more of those stories there are because it's like I know my friend Andy Paley, who was in a band called the Paley Brothers, Boston-based band, and uh, like he knew of a story with uh, uh, Stephen Tyler asking for money from a club owner, and they were like, uh, we'll fucking kill you. <laughs> like, 
Like, oh, really? Yeah, like, they were like, yeah, tonight you play for free. And then he was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> do, you know that, do you know that band, uh, Camper Van Beethoven? Yeah, I, want, they, I loved them as a kid. Yeah, they're so good. Well, they have this amazing story about, we used to have this incredible dirty club called The Rat in Boston. It uh, shut down in like 99. But they have a story about playing there and then going up to the office to try and get paid after their show. <laughs> and the guy was behind the desk and he had a voice box from some kind of smoking malady. And he just pressed it and he was like, you guys have a lot to learn about the music industry. <laughs> but, but you know, the, so the rat, the rat closed down. But now, but now in a separate hotel, you can go to the rat suite and celebrate the, uh, the memory of the rat with a, uh, I think it's a $400 a night room. That's funny. I wonder why, like, why do people, like, I don't know, like, if I'm in town, I could, you know, I want a nice hotel. I don't want bed bugs. I want a, you know, a decent room. But, like, I don't yeah. give a fuck. I just want a place to pass out because if it's a decent city, I'm going to be passing out. Like, I'm like, I just. It's so weird that people need, I don't know, that those kind of hotels exist. It baffles me. I Yeah, I know. I guess it's just the fact that the kids who went to those shows or those clubs or saw those bands are, are older now and have some money, and that's one way to relive it without having to put in earplugs or <laughs> to, to stay, stay out till midnight at some dingy club. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So what is what is next for Hallelujah? I I can't get Hallelujah out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> no one can say. Yeah, we fucked ourselves. No one can say that name in one take. It hasn't helped with our popularity. Um, what's next for the band? Yeah, because uh, I mean, you had an album come out this year, correct? Yeah, an album came out in May called "Have You Ever Done Something Evil," and next month it comes out on vinyl which is very exciting. I've never had an album on vinyl before, so I can't wait to uh, get that out. And then, kind of next fall, next winter, will be the 10th anniversary of starting the band, which is crazy to think about for me. And um, I think we'll uh, we'll try to have some special stuff ready for that. But, you know, um, just in general, just the plan is... Um, Make more music. We love we love making music live and in the studio, and I'm just so happy that we keep staying together as a band. It's really, you know, bands break up pretty easily. Um, but, you know, we've had, our band can be anywhere from five to seven people, so the fact that we're all friends and we all still enjoy it is the best. We have so much fun. Ten years, is that's a, I mean, that's a long fucking haul. I know. I couldn't believe it when I did the math. I was like, wait, what? I've been doing what for 10 years? How do you feel like as a, like as, because you write all the main, you're the main, you're ma the main dude, right? I'm not. Yeah. Like how yeah, I, I write. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just like, how do you feel like, you know, from your first started this and now like where you are now, the, do you look back at it and go, wow, I've it's changed or I've grown or. Yeah, um. Definitely. I think we've never made the same album twice, which is which is uh, one of the things I'm proudest of. Because if you're a band and you find that people like anything you do, the first inclination to, 
is just cookie cutter it and put kind of the same thing out again because she knows people are going to enjoy that. So we try to make it different each time, and I think we've—I don't know—it's like an ebb and flow. You lose some fans, you gain a bunch more, and and um, as long as we stay interested in it, um, I think we do a good job. So yeah, that's that, the goal. That seems like as long as you're challenging and interested, keeping yourself interested, that is seems like the the trick. I, it does. It's int- like you were saying. Like some people just it. There's some bands where you're just like, God damn, like how bored are you? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like it's like become a nine to five, hasn't it, guys? Yeah, I forget. Um, I forget which band it was. It might have been. It might have been Nickelback. I'm not sure. I don't want to. But somebody took some current big rock band and put their two singles on top of each other and put it on YouTube, and they fit together perfectly. <laughs> they were like, it was like minor differences. Well, that's well. God bless them. <laughs> well, but I, hey, hey, I'm talking to you walking around on the street there in a hot tub somewhere. They're having the last laugh, Matt. Yeah, but at the end of the day, their kids are going to be like, "Wow, Dad's band really sucked." <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I ever have kids, they'll hopefully like what I've done. Um, and where can people find? What the find all this fine music by you? So they can uh, just go to Hallelujah, Hallelujah the see I can't even fucking say it. Hallelujah <laughs> the Hills dot com is the website, and uh, we put everything there. We're you know Twitter, Bandcamp, Facebook, all that stuff. If you search the band name, you'll find us. Great, thank you. Very and much. Uh, oh. uh, just really thank you for having me on the show. I I really love the show, and um, I'm honored that you had me on. Oh, I really. Uh, this was great. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. It's been a great uh, show, hasn't it? Go to themattdwyer.com. Donate to my show if you can. Uh, use the Amazon link. Follow me on Twitter, themattdwyer underscore, or Matt underscore Dwyer. Just go to my website. You'll find everything you need there. Hope you're well. National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.